Welcome to the Traveling Hoopers podcast, everybody. I am your host, Alan Predigar Jr. In front of me are my two good friends, Tristan Freeman and Calvin McGowan. Uh, we're doing a college basketball primer today. So we're going to go ahead and let our college basketball experts in front of us go ahead and introduce themselves, starting with Tristan. How's it going? I'm Tristan Freeman. I'm, I'm the site expert and lead editor for Bustin' Brackets blog, part of the Fan Sided Network. Been covering college basketball for a few years now from the Pittsburgh area. And pleasure to join you guys. Pleasure to have you. Uh, I am Calvin McGowan, uh, here once again at, per usual. And I'm excited to, you know, dig into like some college basketball stuff. So, yeah. All right, so tomorrow is the official college basketball kickoff, which means we're about to be bombarded with, uh, what, guys all the way up to like age 27 now that are going to be playing college basketball for possibly their fifth year. So uh, I am going to go ahead and get out the way and let our college basketball guys go ahead and give us their top five storylines of this NCAA season. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Uh, um, don't fight, guys. Well, uh, <laughs> no, it's just like it just it just scared me because like I was trying to dig in this stuff, and granted, I didn't do as much as I'd like. I haven't really stopped and thought like storylines, right? Mm -hmm. But obviously, like one of them is just that, like as we were kind of got into before you hit record, Oklahoma State has a postseason ban, right? Um, and like I'll let Tristan explain it more but I but like I bring it up in part because for me one of course right they might be a pretty solid team this year probably maybe not as good as last year we'll see but like all but also like the ban is so far removed from when it happened that like I know for me in particular it's just like wait what did they do again right and that's less than ideal if you're trying to net out a punishment for something yeah, yeah. It, it's unfortunate for the players because nobody currently on the roster or the staff had anything to do with the prior mishap. And, and it's more on the NCAA for one, taking as long as they have to come out with a punishment. The, this sneaky way they did, which was they banned them and they allowed the appeal to last over a year because they basically wanted Kate Cunningham in the tournament. And now you got a current roster of players that's going to be banned from this upcoming season. And I personally thought they had a really good roster. I thought Avery Anderson had a chance to be a national breakout star with the ball in his hands more. They had a lot of good young talent with Caleb Boone and Rondell Walker. It's unfortunate that they're not going to be part of the postseason. Uh, it's just another you know mistake by the NCAA. But at this point, we're kind of used to that at this point. <laughs> oh yeah um like i said this on twitter it, it doesn't make sense to they're they're punishing freshmen for things that they had nothing to do with like right. nobody on that roster was here like there's no like i can't even think of anybody who was who's on the roster in what 2016 so this is a, a really weird one, um, and I agree with you. Avery Anderson was definitely on 
the uh, next step for a breakout just because of how special he is with the ball in his hands. And uh, I, I think just because they're in the Big 12, they're still going to be able to show the nation what they're missing and not having them there because they could have, like you were saying, deep run in the tournament potential. All right. You guys ready to move on? Yeah. Uh, All I mean, right. Um, I guess, if I may, I'm a, Oh, yeah. Also, granted, this isn't a major storyline. I think, what, Mark Few will, will at least be out for, like, this first game for Gonzaga, who, you know, come in as the number one team in the country uh, to, to start the season again, right, with one of the top recruiting classes bringing in, you know, Chet Holgram, Hunter Silas, Nolan Hickman, as well as, like, transfers in, what, Razier Bolton. Um, and, but, like, they also lost most of their, like, they, they lost a lot of the dudes that really put, that did a lot of the scoring for them. They they bring back Drew Timmy, though, right? They bring back Andrew Nemhar, but they lose Corey Kis- Kispert, Jalen Suggs, Joe Joel Ayayi. Um yeah. and like from an offensive standpoint, that's that's kind of a lot, right? Kispert was like a was one of the best three point shooters in the country. Um right, Jalen Suggs was was really good. Um that said though, and so like I at least for me, right, I expect that their their offense will probably decline. Just because when it's that much better than everybody else, there's not really anywhere to go but down. But also, like, they'll be a better defensive team, right? Because Chet Holgram will come in and provide rim protection as well as, you know, some scoring punch. Drew Timmy will probably get buckets once again. Um, and, like, it's like it's going to be a good team, right? It's just, like, like it, it's just going to look different than it did, right? The defense will probably be better. Offense will probably be worse. It could well work out to being a better team overall, even if, you know, they're not putting up 90 points a game anymore. Yeah, I, I think there's no question, despite so much talent coming back with so many quality five-star players, that Gonzaga, the near-unanimous number one preseason team was well-deserved. I think Andrew Nemhart flies under the radar as one of the best pure point guards in the country. You know, he he played along Jalen Suggs, and that's not an easy thing to do when you have two guards that both in some ways need the ball. I think Andrew Nemhart being the clear-cut lead guard on the offense is going to work out where, well, for sure Bolton is a fantastic slasher to the basket, and he has – a guy in Drew Timmy that needs to be covered. Holmgren's going to be lurking out on the perimeter. I think he's going to succeed in this offense. And look out for Julian Strawber. He didn't play much last year because he was playing behind All-American Corey Kispert, but the former top 60 prospect is a lethal shooter for wing 6'7 guy. He's a really good shooter. He looked fantastic in, in, in Gonzaga's first exhibition game. And he started as well. I think it's better for him and for the team shooting for him to start, have Salas and Nolan Hickman come off the bench, which imagine how many teams can actually say they got two five-star prospects coming off the bench. Gonzaga's loaded. Don't forget about Anton Watson, a versatile combo forward. Ben Gregg, who's a really good shooter, who who 
reclassified last year and still found a way to get minutes. I think Gonzaga's the clear favorite. I think we're wondering how will Timmy and Holmgren work. We'll get a really nice early look at that when it comes to Texas. But if all things are all things work well, Gonzaga's going to have an easy path to Sweet 16 as number one overall seed again. And it's just ultimately going to determine are there any matchups similar to one we saw with Baylor that can expose Gonzaga defensively. And there are some out there on paper that can do so, potentially Texas. But I think if you, you put money down on who's most likely to win, Gonzaga's path is currently the easiest. I don't see it. I don't envision them losing more than three games headed into March. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of like tag along what you guys are saying, uh, that front court is going to be incredible. Like just what Drew, uh, Drew Timmy gives you as an offensive player in the post, that footwork, he's going to be on an island a lot of nights because of Chet Holmgren's ability to stretch the floor. Like I was watching some some footage from the U19 and the way if Holmgren shooting can, if he can do that while he's at Gonzaga, there's no chance that uh, Drew Timmy doesn't finish like top five in national player of the year just because he's going to he's probably going to be like a close to a 20 and 10 guy just because he's going to have so much time on the block by himself and we saw what that was looking like last year during the tournament where he just kind of went one-on-one with people and uh and then you cover up for him with his uh defensive efficiency uh deficiencies with Chet Holmgren like their guards are always going to be good. Their wings are always going to be good because Mark Few just drills all of that really well. Um, yeah, this is this is easily the best team in the nation. Um, if I'm all right, so Tristan, and I guess this is kind of me just kind of going down some of the stuff that I've gotten to look at. But how do you feel about UCLA this year? It's it, it's weird because you can go about it one or two ways. You can look at it as they were one run away from losing to Michigan State and us not thinking about them nowhere near what we currently are, as well as the fact that there were some fluky scenarios in the tournament, like Alabama couldn't hit a free throw, Michigan couldn't hit a shot. Yeah, they had epic game against Gonzaga where no one missed, but still their defenses, their defensive woes came up short in that one too. But anytime a team with their talent returns everyone. Johnny Juzang, who I think is the best player on their team, coming back averaging 17 a game. Jaime Hawkes, as versatile as he is. Tiger Campbell, I think, is very underrated as a point guard, especially a defensive point guard at that. And then you add Miles Johnson as a defensive anchor from Rutgers, and then five-star wing Peyton Watson. I'm, I have no idea how he's going to get minutes, assuming that Juzang and Hawkes you know, do what they do, but Mick Cronin will find a way. I think they weren't top five consideration, but they are going to have to clean up some things defensively, and there's going to be a huge target on the back because they pretty much were just average 90% of the season. But if they haven't gotten better or if what happened in March is fluky, we'll know early on because they're going to have to deal with Villanova and Gonzaga. So I'm very interested to see what UCLA looks like in the non-conference. Okay. And I and I asked because, like, I looked at them. And, like, as I was looking, one, like you said, right, the tournament run seemed kind of fluky. Um, and it's like I look at it and it's kind of like they were kind of a middling team, like you said, most of the year. And, and like, 
most like rankings have them as like number two, right in the country, considered the second best team in the country. And like I was, you know, kind of looking at numbers and and whatnot, and it's kind of like this doesn't even like I'm is I'm not sure this is a twenty five like a top twenty five team just off of what I saw um, when I started looking initially. Um, like in and like definitely not top two, even if players get better unless for me, I felt like unless dudes made leaps, right? That but then, you know, like you said, I looked and I saw they had Miles Johnson coming in, right? And like they, you know, they weren't good at protecting the rim last year. But like Johnson, he averaged what like two yeah, like over two blocks a game, almost as many blocks by himself as UCLA did, right? Um, he adds rebounding, which was also an area that, like, they they weren't that great in, like, they weren't terrible. Um, and, like, he's, it seems, on paper, at least, it seems like he'd be a defensive presence to help shore some of that up. It seems that, um, at least short-term, the freshmen they bring in are kind of also probably they'll probably find more of their minutes just like in terms of like providing some defense, right. Than necessarily scoring the ball. Um, and I look and it's like, I saw that and I'm like, okay, maybe like this makes more sense now. Not I'm still not sold on top two just cause that seems really high for a team that like was like still wasn't where correct me if I'm they were they ranked at the end of the season. Like, even uh, after that run, I get in the final poll, yeah, because everyone jumped, but mm-hmm. that 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 was basically uh like spur the moment. But right. I will say that there's like a debate for not only the UCLA but the Pac-12 overall because the Pac-12 had a fantastic run when you consider Oregon, USC, and Oregon State. And we mm-hmm. have to remember that be- before the season, the Pac-12 eliminated their non-conference due to COVID concerns. And I think there was a fear that all college basketball was going to do the same. But when no one else did that, the Pac-12 had to scurry and create their own non-conference out of nowhere, and it led to poor scheduling. So by the time conference play came, all the Pac-12 looked average at best. And once we all viewed them as average and they were just beating up on each other, we just assumed all of them are nothing but average. But when all of those teams that entered the tournament looked as impressive as they did, UCLA was dominant at times. USC destroyed Kansas, and they only ran up against Gonzaga. Who knows what they could have done? I think there's a case that maybe we were undervaluing the Bruins and the rest of the Pac-12 as well, which would then help warrant why they were a top-five preseason team. It, it, it was what was interesting to see what the Pac-12 was overall based on your own opinion. There either was overrated or underrated at some point all last year. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to storyline number three. What are we looking at, guys? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I'm very interested in what a lot of these new head coaches are working with. I think it's important to note that this was a historically good offseason for black hires in particular. There are different levels when it came to where they, which jobs they were. Like you have guys like Micah Shrewsbury at Penn State 
and Oral Green at Boston College and Ben Johnson, Minnesota, who are taking over clearly rebuilding jobs. So it, it, they're going to have to go through the growing pains. But then you also had guys like Mike Anderson, uh, Mike Woodson taking over a really talented Indiana team. Yeah. Hubert Davis, the successor at North Carolina, there's going to be a ton of pressure on him. We, I'm being realistic. Black head coaches uh, succeeding at high major jobs are just always going to be pressure. And if you and if UNC, who's been awful and then average the past two years when they're accustomed to being top 10, if he doesn't take this roster, which I think has top 10 potential, you know, to, to be in the top 10 team, there's going to be some pressure on him as well. And even besides the black head coaches, you, Chris Beard has a brand new roster at Texas who I think people could argue from a roster standpoint, they're number one, even above Gonzaga, when you look at one through 12 on the roster. It's going to be really interesting to see a lot of these head coaches because there are so many hires, especially after the previous year when when programs were a little hesitant to fire and hire people when it came to financial resources. All the moves were made last year, and it'll be interesting to see who stands out as the, the elite head coaches and who maybe end up being misses? Yeah, that's definitely a thing. I know what Herbert Davis is taking over at North Carolina. Um, and what he I didn't get to look at them, but I know like they're he's taking over a fairly talent a fairly talented roster. Um and but it'll be interesting to see like how it goes, you know, because like they're not the only you know talented roster in the ACC, which is kind of like saying water is wet, <laughs> but it's still just like you know Duke should be should be really good this year, Florida State should be good, um, and just like some other like there's some other programs that you know are worth paying attention to, um, but. You mentioned like Texas and and their roster, and I I just looked at that, and it's just like that's kind of wild. Like, and we were talking about it, right? Like, just the level of talent that he got to transfer in, right? I think they only have like one freshman coming through this year, and basically everybody else is transfers. And this is a team that's losing that lost that's losing most of its production from last year, right? A lot of like. Like three players are are in the league, um, like a couple others. I think he like graduated, or like transferred out. But like you're bringing in like dudes that were all conference guys in major conferences, right? And it's like, and like, and like theoretically, right? Because some of them, you look at some of their numbers, aren't super, weren't super efficient last year, right? But they were also on like mediocre teams, right? Like what Iowa State. Um, he got a kid from Vanderbilt, Dylan DeSue. Um, and it's just like you would think you would you would think that like you get all these players together as well as some of the dudes you have returning. Um, what Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, and like dudes like numbers will drop off, but you would think that like efficiency would improve and probably just general like. It, like you said, it should be a good team. Like the talent's definitely there. Chris Beard is a good, is like is a very good coach. Um, and I guess it's just a kind of matter of like him getting everybody to mesh, and like every and like not forcing things because like you are 
bringing together a bunch of guys that were one of the best players on their last team, and, like, everybody can't have the ball at the same time. But that may or may not be an issue. It won't be an issue as long as as long as they win. I, I think the, the, the yeah. problem that it's going to have for, for not just them but everyone, when you go through that eventual two- to three-game losing streak in conference play and a couple of the guys aren't getting as many minutes, because realistically, like, two of these guys are going to go from playing 30 minutes a game to 10 or 12 because someone's going to stand out, someone's going to be a star. How is that going to work? Chemistry in January is going to be a major storyline, not just for Texas, but for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and I, I think you have a better feel of this than I do. How many transfers are roughly? Because like, wasn't this like an all-time year in terms of like number, just raw number of like kids transferring? Yeah, it's 1,700, which is like several hundred more. Uh, a, a good number that had to do with guys getting a fifth year and opting to just go somewhere else. I think you also can factor in COVID and that a lot of players just wanted new starts. The one, the, the waiver exception that guys won't have to sit out helped as well, especially for guys like uh, Remy Martin and Marcus Carr, because normally they would have gone pro rather than risk having to sit out a year as a senior. Nobody wanted to do what Sam Hauser did at Virginia, which is transfer for one year, sit out, and play for one year. They would have gone pro. So for a sport of college basketball, it actually helped with the talent pool. But, you know, I've been previewing transfers all offseason, and I think we have to remember that historically, 50 to 60% of transfers, especially those who move up from the mid-major power conference level, don't give you the same production they did before. Like there are going to be transfers that we're talking about in the preseason saying, oh, this guy can be a real impact. He can be a, a star player all conference. And in four games in, you're looking at the sheets and you're like, this guy isn't even playing. Like there are dudes that are not going to be part of the rotation because all coaches, as much as they say they got deaf, are going to play seven, eight guys at the most. Right. Like there, like like you said, there are there aren't that many coaches that play deep for real. Like there are some, but most of them, like you said, tend to run short benches. Yeah, basically Leonard Hamilton and his coaching tree. Like Dennis yeah. Gates, Cleveland <laughs> yeah. State plays twelve as well, but it's basically just them. <laughs> yeah, and like even the thing with that is like you have to have the dudes to do it. Um, and in fairness, right, some of the teams we talked about, Texas would probably have the dudes to do it. Probably won't, but, like, may well have the guys. Kansas will have the guys if, like, if they really want, if Self really wanted to. Um, But, you know, those are, again, those are top 25 teams. Everybody, and, like, high major team and high major teams, everybody doesn't necessarily have the luxury. Um... I mean, one team we can add a, add to that is Memphis after their offseason. They added a whole bunch of transfers. And then yeah. when you thought the roster was done, here comes Jalen Duran and then Imani Bates. And, you know, there was, there was like instant reaction when Imani Bates came. People were like, oh, top five. Memphis definitely top five for a season. And then I think like people like backed off a bit. It's like, okay, this is mm-hmm. top 10, top 15. 
we're looking at how things are fit and like there are questions about the point guard situation the I, I have major questions about what they're going to do on the wings because there are like four or five wings that should probably get minutes besides Bates, and I'm not sure how that works out when it comes to Lester Kionis and Landers Nolly. I've heard rumors that Nolly may not be 100% guaranteed to be on the team by the time like December gets here if things could go so Calvin you you know Memphis more uh, closer than I do what what are your thoughts about the the Tigers and their roster setup so I that's a solid question because it's like the thing is they definitely have the talent right like they definitely have the talent um a question that and like I'm aware like there are people who you know kind of question you know Penny's coaching ability right even though last two years He's he's run a top five defense. The offense has had questions to be polite about it. Um, and like the thing is, one of I think a move that'll probably be important here that's kind of like people talked about it, but I feel like it's not appreciated is like they went and got Larry Brown, right? And like the thing is, I feel like when people look at that move, it's just like, oh, you know, this is for like coaching, you know, the at the players and whatever and like there will be some of that just by the nature but I really think Larry Brown is really there to like teach Penny right especially on the offensive side of the ball and getting to see them play against like Lane in the exhibition game it's because like I remember seeing them at the start of last year right and offensively that was that was hard to watch like I, I got fed up I'm like you know what you know what I'm not watching no more right <laughs> You know, and then you look up and, like, DeAndre Williams gets cleared and it's, like, a totally different team. And, like, they go on to win the NIT. But, like, the, the question was always, from a coaching standpoint, the offense. And watching it, it's, like, you know, the it like, it's a fully functional offense. Like, the ball is installed. They got, you know, solid movement off ball, right? And it's just, like, okay, like, this is this is going to be, a, like, they'll they'll be pretty good. Um, as far as, like, some of, you know, answering as far as, like, some of the wings, it's, like, I'm aware, but part of why I think it'll be okay, I, I can't really answer the whole Nolly thing, I, I don't really know, it's just, that, like, it sounds like they're going to try and do kind of point guard by committee, um, and, you know, it's going to be Bates, that's um, going to be Lomax, it wouldn't surprise me if that's Lawson, Jonathan Lawson, because like he ran, like in high school he did run some point. His when he when he played for his dad in particular, his junior year he had him running point, which like he's a solid point guard. He's much better on the wings and like just moving off ball, like even in terms of like his passing, right? He's 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 a better player playing off the wing, but he can run that point spot. Um, so like I think that's how you get some of the dudes the minutes that they're going to want is rotating people on that, like, on, you know, being the point guard. Now, that doesn't, that probably doesn't answer, address, like, all the minutes concerns, right? But, like, it it will address some. It wouldn't surprise me if at various points, you know, they'd try and do, like, a small ball type of thing. Um, and, like, with the level of passing that I think they will have, Right with Lomax, 
with Bates, who apparently has been a surprising solid passer, and at least to watch the exhibition game, like, isn't going to be a ball hog, which I think was kind of a concern for very, uh, of him in terms of, like, okay, like, how will he handle, like, not being the only dude who shoots? And, like, it seems like he'll probably be fine. Um, and, like, be, being a decent passer, Lomax being a solid passer, um, what uh, Lawson being a solid passer, um, I think uh, Dandridge being a solid passer, like, out of the post, um, especially if he can, you know, kind of stay healthy and get consistent minutes. Like, I like I think dudes will have opportunities to, like, everybody will probably have an opportunity offensively to kind of, to have, like, a game or two where it's just, like, it's all working and you're kind of the guy. It's just, like you said, right, everything's all good while you're winning. Um, and, like, the question will be, okay, like, if, like you said, if they hit a skid, how how are things going to hold up in terms of, like, the personalities and, like, the various, again, concerns for minutes and what have you. But I think, so, like, I, I think that, like, they, even though, like, I think they come in in most rankings around, what, I think 15, 16-ish, like, I think I would make the argument, even though, like, I'm aware, like, I have biases, but, like, Assuming, right, they stay healthy, I think it's reasonable to say, like, they're a top 10 team. But it's very much wait and see, right? Because there's there are a lot of moving parts in terms of, like, seeing how everything fits together when the games actually start up. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a question for you guys. It's, like, basically an outsider looking in. When we talk about depth, like, we haven't even talk, mentioned guys like Josh Mno, who's already uh, picking up, like, some NBA draft interest. And uh, just talking about, like, the small ball and the different type of things that you can do with this roster. Is this one, if not the deepest uh, rosters that we have in the nation? Like, just looking at the transfers, we got Chandler Lawson coming in. Tyler Harris, who was a pretty decent point guard at Iowa State. Earl Timberlake, like there's there's a lot of name recognition on this team. Hmm. Like I think it'll definitely be one of the deeper ones, right? It's not. I will make the argument at least in terms of like what we know of players right now. You can make the argument like they're probably not going to. You wouldn't necessarily consider them as deep as like Texas or Kansas, but like you said, there are a lot of very good players who will be battling for minutes that, like, we didn't meant, that like we didn't even bring up. Um, so I think they, like, it will be the deepest, one of the deepest teams. Um, it seems like, especially during the exhibitions, Tim, uh, Hardaway was um, looking for his best combinations of players and not just the best players, strictly speaking. Um, and... Like, we'll see how they choose to try and, you know, make use of the debt. You know, my thing would be very much just, it'd be like as a situation arises, right? It's like, if you have the debt and you have the, you know, diversity of, like, types of players, it's very much like trying to, like, when you play a kid playing him in the position where he will be most successful in terms of, like, whatever the situation is on the court. But, like, that's very much kind of a coaching call. Um, but, like, like we said, like, the talent is there 
It's just, you know, how it all, how the games play out, basically. Yeah, it's hard for me to say a team got great depth if we don't know who their point guard is. That that that's a really big flaw <laughs> for, for basketball. Like like point guard by committee will work in the AAC, which is basically Houston, Wichita State, and a bunch of inferior rosters. But the NCAA tournament where things slow down and it's one and done, you need to be clear about what you're doing because you're one drought away from from losing as we saw from all the top teams. Like, if if Earl Timberlake can be that point guard for them, then I, I think it's great. There's nothing wrong with having Bates be capable of running the offs, especially when you're, when you're such an athletic team that you can run the fast break. It's perfectly fine. But this is a, a team that I'm concerned about that can go on offensive droughts if they don't know exactly what they're doing. And it's still a fairly young team. It's a bunch of guys who, even Timberlake, like he plays seven games on on, on Miami. It, he's he's basically a freshman in his own right. Like if Duran's a guy that you can just throw the ball down to and he can dominate, that solves a lot of problems for them in the backcourt. I do wonder if they can shoot. I wonder how good they'll be in the half-court scenario. But death-wise, they have way too many small forward wings for me to consider. Like, it's hard seeing where Joshua Minot is going to play. Because you can argue last season, the best lineups for Memphis was when uh, DeAndre Williams was at the five. Like, that was that was some of their best work when Musa Cisse was on the bench. But if he's going to be playing the four now with Duran at the five, and you have some version of Keonis, Nolly, Timberlake, Bates on the court, it, it's going to be very interesting. And I think the game against Virginia Tech with head coach Mike White, who's really good at scouting defenses, and with a guy in Kevin Aluma is going to give them all their hands work, that's, that's going to be a very telling game. Because if Virginia Tech just out outmaneuvers them, then, it's, then they're going to be one of those teams where I'm not picking to go deep in March, regardless of seeds. Nice. <laughs> All right, guys, let's keep it moving. What's number four for you? Um, hmm. I know, well, just to touch on Kansas for a second, because, you know, you're a Kansas fan. Um, but I... They, because we we mentioned depth, right? And you look at Kansas's roster, and it's just it's it's kind of wild, right? They it's like they lose they they lost a number of players, but they bring back basically everybody that mattered, right? Um, and in addition to that, you know, they bring in a really good recruiting class that had both Zach Clements and KJ Adams, two like talented fours. And like they they brought in a lot of good transfers, right? They brought in Remy Martin, um, what Jalen Cole, Coleman lands. Uh, they brought in Cam Martin, who was a D two All American, who was really efficient last year. And like you would hope, even like as we talk about dudes move up and like kind of drop off in production. Like I assume if you're Kansas, you're at least hoping that like his efficiency holds up especially when he's not the guy night in and night out, right? Um, and, of course, again, you bring in you, – you return basically everybody from one of the best teams in the country last year. 
And like, it's hard to look at that as well as like bringing in a bunch of talent and be like, oh, this is like, there's going to be major issues here, right? Self is good at like fielding good teams and winning basketball games. Uh, But, you know, it's it's with everything else. You kind of have to wait and see. Like, I think they they have an opportunity to have one of the best offensives in the country. But, yeah. Yeah, Kansas has the best starting lineup in the country, or or most aesthetically pleasing. Like, they have a, a elite point guard, Remy Martin. Ochai Baez is one of the best players in the country, at least one of the best two-way players. You have the sharpshooter, Christian Braun, and then you have the frontcourt duo, Jalen Wilson, and David McCormick, like they have everything. I mean, even Joseph Yesifu as the backup guard, who would have been a perfectly fine starting option for them before Remy Martin came. And then you then you have a 27-year-old and J- Jalen Coleman lands, who I'm struggling to see how he's going to even get minutes on this on this roster. They have everything you want. I, I do think there's a little concern that Bill Self is very pushy about the team's defense so far. I think maybe that has to do with wanting Norton to be that all-around guard. Like, we know he, he's a good scorer. We know he can give you 20, but he has to be a better defender because there's a lot of really good guards. And if he's giving up 20 but scoring 20, then that doesn't help out Kansas. And he's not going to be Marcus Garrett when it comes to defensive ability. But if he can be a good offensive player and Kansas can just be a solid defensive team, then they'll be a Final Four contender without question. All right. I have a question for you guys. What are the chances that Remy Martin looks like uh, point guards in the past that were really good, like let's say Frank Mason? Like, what, are you guys, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Because, hmm. like, the, the thing is that, like, he's coming from, what, yeah. Arizona, Arizona State, State, isn't it? Like a like a, a bad Arizona State team. Um, but, again, with better players around him, I would think his efficiency ticks up. But, like, I'm, I'm not really sure, actually. Right? Like, it'd be easy if I had an opportunity to see that Arizona State team play. But um, it's like, I, in fair, like he probably won't be as good all around as like they were, right? Um, but yeah, wait and see for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the situation in Arizona State was he was in an offense with a bunch of ball dominant guards like Alonzo Verge and Joshua Christopher. It was basically you get the ball and do whatever. Like, there was no nothing cohesive about, you know, Bobby Hurley's offense at Arizona State. It is much – there, there's a system with Bill Self. And I think the concern is he has the talent to, to be like the, the previous guards, like, like Graham and all of them. The problem is he's already has three years of playing it a certain style. And he's going to have to acclimate to a completely different system with a bunch of really good players. I mean, if you remember, Arizona State had no front court. Like, it was basically Marcus Bagley playing undersized forward all over there. You have you have to throw the ball to McCormick. You have to throw the ball to Wilson. You have to leave it open for Braun. Like, there's going to be games for Remy Martin where he only takes eight to ten shots. 
Is that something he's capable of doing? Or is he going to go through a stretch of five minutes not taking a shot because McCormick and Wilson's handling their business down low, and he's like, screw it, I got to get one, and he takes an ill shot. Like, those are going to be the grown pains that he has to go through, and that Bill Self has to go through as well because it's one of those rare times where he doesn't have a homegrown point guard he develops over three, four years. Like he, he's been one of the few coaches, along with uh, Jay Wright Villanova, where he doesn't have one-and-done guys all the time. Like the guys that grow into stars are juniors and seniors. He has a senior, but he's basically a freshman for Kansas in terms of their offensive system. Okay. Uh, do you guys remember uh, the the 2019 season where Arizona State had like Luke and Dortz? Like, how how uh, familiar are you guys with that season? Yeah, that was that was a fun one. That that was like one where Arizona State actually looked like they had they knew what they were doing offensively. Exactly, and I, I love Remy Martin in that situation. I do understand that you know is almost three years removed from that point, but if he can do what he did there, where he looked like an actual point guard and was also able to give you twenty at any given time, like this Kansas team. What like what's the what's the ceiling here? I mean, the the they're number three preseason team in the country. I think it's pretty clear everyone who mm-hmm. thinks they're ceiling mm-hmm. is just national title. I mean, but Bill yeah. Self gets all the credit he deserves when it comes to being a head coach. Like last season was an off year. Like Michigan, like Duke and Kentucky missed a tournament in their off years. Michigan State was on the bubble. Kansas's off year was a four seed. Like that, that's that's basically what the yeah. worst is. Like even though they have their struggles, they still was really good. And this year they shouldn't have that. They have way too much depth. They have so much depth that the top JUCO transfer in the country, Sidney Curry, had the lead because he wasn't only going he wasn't going to get more than five minutes on this roster. Like that that's how much talent they have. There's no question that they can win. The only reason that they're not the, the clear cut preseason favor in the Big Twelve is because Texas may have a higher ceiling talent-wise. But if, but in terms of, like, what I'm sure of, I'm sure that Kansas is probably going to win. Plus, they, plus they, they, they don't want to lose to Big 12 two years in a row. Like, Baylor punked them last year, and I, I think that they want some revenge on their own. Okay. I, I like the way that sounds as, you know, a Jayhawks fan. So, we can... Not two years in a row. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to number five. Tristan, what you got for us? Yeah, I am incredibly intrigued to talk to look at the SEC. I think no conference has as much as has many transfers and five-star freshmen as they do. You look up and down to the top protected 10 teams, like Arkansas is where Eric Musselman once again has a lot of transfers. Audie's Tony from Pitt. You got Chris Likes from Miami. Then you have a couple of sophomore breakout candidates and Jalen Williams and Devontae Davis. We all know Kentucky's roster is well-known at this point. Alabama has a five-star guard in J.D. Davison paired, paired along with Javon Quinterly and Jaden Shackelford. Even teams like Florida and, and LSU were transfer-heavy this offseason with a lot of guys who have production. And, you know, as I said before, historically, transfers don't always produce at their next stop. 
and there, there's a real good chance that some of these guys that we're thinking could be double-digit scores struggle early on. And there's some of these five-star freshmen, you know, even look at Tennessee besides Kennedy Chandler, they also have a five-star big man in Brandon Huntley-Hatfield. You know, Tennessee's big weakness last year was front court issues. If he doesn't come in and be an impact player right away, they could have similar struggles. Even Auburn, you know, you have Walker Kessler, the UNC transfer, who at times looked incredible. But, you know, did, did Roy Williams really miss that badly on him and not playing him much? Or what, or does he still have some growing pains left with Jabari Walker and those uh, mid-major point guard transfers? Like, is Wendell Green an SEC caliber point guard? Like, I have my questions about that. So, it, the SEC is going to be real fascinating because some of these guys could be stars, they could be hitting gems, or they could be bust, and that would have a severe impact on their tournament implications. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say, granted, I haven't had much opportunity to dig into SEC specifically, um, other than you know understanding they, of course, have a lot of good coaches as well as like a lot of solid talent. I think like JD Davidson will. He'll do a lot of good for Alabama, I think. So my hesitation with him is, like, I am not sure he's a point guard, right? Like, he can – and in fairness, I say this because when I've had the opportunity to watch him, I haven't seen the pass I – haven't, I haven't really seen the passing ability. Like, I've seen the scouting reports, like, oh, he's a good passer, but then while I watch his game, I'm like, I don't really see it. Like, I see the vision. I haven't – seen much in terms of like the actual like may, like the actual execution of it now it may come out that like he they start playing games and he's absolutely fine to the passer but like he is but like having said that like he's a really really good scorer right like he can carry like i think he'll be able to have an he'll be able to carry the team i hope that's not the situation he finds himself in where it turns out oh the rest of the team isn't as good as like people had hoped or something and, like, they find themselves, you know, mid-table. Um, and he's having to put up, you know, 20, 25 a night for them to compete. In fairness, I don't... Because, like... Because, what, Nate Oates has been a pretty solid coach since he's been there. Like, I don't really think that's a situation they'll find themselves in. But, um, like, he will be he will be very good for them. Of course, Kennedy Chandler will be... Like, I think Tennessee will win games they wouldn't have won if they didn't have him, just kind of straight up, right? Because when, when I've seen him, he, 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 he makes his teammates better, like in a tangible way, right? It's not like going from trash to like, oh, they're amazing now, but it's just like the difference between like the team being like good and great. And I think he's, he tends to be more athletic than people have tended to give him credit for. He is an amazing passer. Um... And, like, I think his presence, you know, again, assuming, like, he stays healthy and whatever, gives the rest of the team the opportunity to be great. And I I think they have an opportunity to be, you know, a top 10, maybe top 5 team, in part because he's there elevating everybody else's play. And because of that elevation, I'm not that concerned about how the rest of his team will play on an individual level. And again, you know, you mentioned they bring back a lot of their talent from last year, which was also a very good team. And so, like, I I think Tennessee will be really good. But I don't know. I Again, I have some biases that I'm aware of. Like, 
I prefer a passing guard like Chandler to like to a scoring guard like Davidson, for example. But yeah. All right. Uh, I completely agree with everything you guys are saying from the like talent and depth of the entire SEC and then the incoming freshmen. There's guys like uh, Ty Ty Washington that we haven't even talked about who are going to probably uh, carry, for lack of better, for lack of better word, uh, Kentucky early on, just because you know Kentucky always has a struggle up front to get ready for everything. So. Uh, just watching the entire SEC is going to be really fun because they could have a lot of guys who, of course, leave again after this year just because they're first-round picks. Um, oh, speaking because we've been on storylines and whatever. Granted, I haven't had enough time to dig into this, but um, what do you, how do you think Oral Roberts will do this year? Because I know they lost O'Banner who was, like, the number two on that team. Like, Aves misses back. Like, they, they got some transfers. I, like, but, like, do you think this team coming in will be, like, as as good or maybe better than last year's? Or, like, how do you see that kind of playing out? It, the funny thing about Oral Roberts is they were an average team in the Summit League last year. They were fourth in the regular season. So e even with the firepower they had, there were teams like South Dakota and South Dakota State that were clearly better than them. The good news is when you have O'Banner and Max Asmus in a one-game scenario, that you saw that in the Summit League, yeah. and then Ohio State and Florida saw that in the NCAA tournament. I think even without O'Banner, Oral Roberts will be, will be good. Uh, Isaac McBride from Vanderbilt is going to be a solid transfer. I'll be interested to see how that backcourt pair works. They bring in multiple uh, starters back as well. The, the problem Oral Roberts has is they don't play defense. In fairness, no one in the Summit League plays defense. So that's why you see scores like 99 and 96 all the time in that conference. But the lack of size, I, I think, is going to make them vulnerable they have they have a really interesting opening night game against Colorado State who's viewed as a top 35 team coming in they got David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens the, the odds have Colorado State as a 13 point favorite so I think that should tell you where Oral Roberts stands when we talk about them on a national level but they'll still be a threat in the Summit League although South Dakota State and South Dakota brings back most of their production they're both probably going to be the favorites, if you take away what happened with Oral Roberts in March. Okay. All right. And uh, to add to the flyer a little bit, there is a guy named Cameron Embry that's out of uh, Texas that's going to be going there after the 2022 class. Uh, they're going to be, there's basically going to be two Max Acemas on that roster uh, when that happens, like due to, really really good like i'll show you guys some film but um him coming off the bench or backing up a smith or if they become a backcourt together that's going to we're basically going to have to rerun this uh part of the podcast again next year it's going to be fun okay um what well, i guess just some stuff i want to throw in right because like i like, I'm interested in seeing how South Carolina State does. Fairness, I don't think they'll be good, right? Because last year, they won 
one game. That was against Florida A&M, and that was the and and that was the only game they won out of four games against FAM. Um, that said, right as I mentioned, they have a new coach, right? He's implementing you know a new system that sounds like he's going to be very like kind of a high pressure defensive system. Um, and he brings with him his son, TJ Madlock, who I am very high on as a basketball player. Um, right. I feel like, like even before, like he committed to go play for his dad over there. Um, like I felt like he was under recruited, like he probably should have been getting like some high major offers. But, like, he got some mid-majors. Not necessarily terrible ones, mind you, but it's just kind of like... I feel like... I felt like there should be better offers or at least more of them, right? Really good defensive player, right? Shut down um, Brandon Miller in the in the state title game. In fairness, that was in combination with just a good defensive plan to stop him. But, you know, locked him down, um, right? Against what was it? Uh, IMG was that that game? Um, yeah. Like he, it's like he was. It seemed like he was the only player on that Houston team that was that still that bothered to show up for real, like like they're supposed to. Um, and I think he has a chance to be one of, if not the best player, definitely the best guard, like in the MEAC, right? Especially with Florida and him and Bethune off to the swag. And North Carolina and T in the what Big South now, um, and I'm I'm honestly just I'm gonna have some, there'll be some games I'm gonna watch. I think there's a game they play against Duke in December, right? I'm watching that just to see Madlock play, right? And granted, I know like Duke has a like has a lot of firepower, right? Panchiro, um, Griffin. And, like, just generally, and, like, a number of dudes from last year who should improve, at, even though, like, that team last year wasn't good for various reasons. Um, but, like, I I think I think he will surprise a lot of people, and I think by consequence, South Carolina State will surprise people, even though I still don't think it'll be a good team. Because it was a young team, in addition to being a bad team last year. Um, but again, that's kind of a wait and see. That's just the thing that I feel. And I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, um, speaking of which, how do you feel about Duke this year? Oh, I, 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 I mean, they, they have maybe the best player in the country in Paula Bencaro. I think mm-hmm. Mark Williams is a breakout candidate. My only concern with Duke is that is Jeremy Roach going to be a true point guard they need. Uh, he couldn't win a job over Jordan Goldwire last year, which that that's a major concern on my part. And I was interested they didn't they didn't uh, add a true point guard, so I guess they must be high on on Roach. I think the one other concern is they don't have a ton of depth. They only have like ten scholarship players to begin with, and they had a little scare with AJ Griffin in the offseason with a knee injury. And he has a history of knee issues, so hopefully, knock on wood, he can stay healthy throughout the year. But as long as Duke remains healthy, they're going to be a, a title contender. And plus, you don't want to bet on Duke having back-to-back off years. Yeah. Um, 
just to throw my little two cents in about Duke, uh, I think a guy like Trevor Kills is going to be really big for this uh, for this team. Like he's versatile. He's going to be able to. He's he's like a pretty instant offense dude already. I think he'll have chances. He'll have a chance to score probably by like twelve points a game as a freshman, uh, doing a lot of his damage in the mid range. But because of how big he is, I think where he's really going to help them is on the defensive end. Like he can match up with several different positions. Uh, probably guard one through three pretty easily at the college level. Big body, like he looks like a three and D guy already. And um, as far as point guard goes, uh, they signed somebody late in Jalen Blakes. And um, I didn't really get to watch a lot of him because he kind of he he's a little bit of a late riser. Like he had a really big push in the rankings, like towards the end of the year, just outside of the top 100, but a four star guy. Um, have you guys seen or heard anything about him uh, this offseason so far? I'm not going <laughs> to pretend I haven't. <laughs> no, not 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 too much, but I wouldn't be surprised if there, there's going to be a lot of breakout candidates, especially considering that we have there hasn't been a lot of in-person scout and just ramped up. So I wouldn't be surprised if anybody in the 2021-20 class breaks out whether it's freshman or sophomore this year guys if that is it for storylines let's get into some rapid fire play with uh some freshmen that you're looking forward to so we can just do this round robin we say a name give about 30 seconds to a minute to explain why you're high on that guy and uh we can keep it pushing and uh, I'll start my list with the guy that we already mentioned earlier that's probably going to be on you guys' list too, Kennedy Chandler. Now, uh, Calvin was there with me while we were watching, like, Geico's and, like, the uh, uh, Geico's in the NIBC tournament last year, also known as, like, the St. John's. I have, like, a major recruiting, like, recruit crush on Kennedy Chandler. Just the way he makes a team run, like, He's the type of guy who's going to take things off your plate so you just do what you have to do. Like, you don't have to worry about creating for yourself. You just got to be in the right position, and this dude is going to find you and also be able to score when he wants to. Um, we were talking a little bit before the podcast start. I think he's going to be the closest thing to, uh, what, like a Chris Paul-level guy at the college basketball level next year. Well, this season. Um, so a quick answer that's kind of like Jalen Duran, real quick, just really like his game. Um, solid passer out the post. Like, is you know just kind of solid in the post. Really athletic, big, strong dude. Um, like he'll he's gonna help Memphis win a lot of games with having that post presence. Um, and for and I'll go ahead and say Davidson, even though, like, I don't love his game. He's an electric player, right? He's going to be highly entertaining for for people to watch. He's the kind of player that puts butts in seats, right? And he I, he will def there will be points where he definitely keeps them in the game, like for, keeps Bama in the game. 
Yeah, I'm really interested in Max Christie, a five-star shooting guard for Michigan State. Uh, part, part of the reason is there's a lot of pressure. It, he, they're talking about him being the leading scorer for the Spartans, and I'm not sure if that's going to be a good or bad thing because, like most freshmen, they're going to have ups and downs, and the Big Ten can be brutal, even though it's more so for bigs this year than guards. I think Christie could should be solid. He's not going to replace what Aaron Henry, Aaron Henry did, you know, skill-wise. But if he can be that guy that can give them 15, 16 points per game, that'll be a big boost for a roster that I think has a lot of decent parts, but not a lot of great parts. And the Big Ten's full of, full of great parts. So Michigan State's going to want to rise up to the top four or five of the conference. They're going to need someone like Christie to be a, an excellent freshman player for them. Okay. Uh, my guy is going to be uh, Texas freshman Jalen Tyson. Uh, this is a little bit of a homer pick, but I was kind of there to watch as he like really became the four-star recruit that we've seen. Uh, he initially got ranked as like a top 90 guy and then finishing the top 40 at 35. Um, at his size, which is about like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, uh, he has playmaking skills for a wing. He can also create for himself. Uh, really good passer. Uh, I hate I hate to say this because he's not doing all that well right now. But there's a tad bit of Jalen, uh, Jason Tatum to his game, uh, where he can just kind of create for himself and look really good doing it. Uh, and then I, I keep seeing a lot of him being featured on uh, Texas's. Um, Social media, so that also almost gives me a hint that he's going to have a role and presence on his team. But even if it is in limited minutes, because this team is so deep uh, all over, I think he's going to show us enough where we're going to be really excited for a sophomore year out of him. Okay, um, if I throw another guy out there, granted, I wish I could have seen more of him, uh, but Frankie Collins. Right. I got to see a game early last year and he he seems like the kind of player that like one, he'll probably be a multi-year player over in Michigan. But he seems like the kind of dude who's like who will just like like if you need something done, he'll just kind of be like, fine, I'll do it myself. Right. Um, And is going to just kind of be a general nuisance on both ends of the ball for opposing teams. Like. And he's just he's just gonna help them win games, right? If not this year, definitely down the stretch. Yeah. Shout out to you for that Thanos quote. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we're gonna stick with point guards, I'm gonna go to Creighton and Ryan Nemhard, brother of Andrew Nemhard. Uh, there's a there, there's a seemingly a decent amount of hype for a team that is going to be incredibly young. You know, they have the a the historically great recruiting class, the four guys, all highest recruit, highest ranked in program history, but the but the highest is Arthur Kaluma in 45. And you know how when it comes to rankings, you know, the, the success rate of guys ranked between 50 and 100. You know, it, it truly can be 50-50, but there seems to be a lot of belief that Nemhard is going to be a, a safe bet at point guard. And he's going to have a lot of talent to work with, a lot of young talent. 
But if he but if he can look like his brother when it comes to being a true maestro of the offense, he he's he's going to end up looking similar to Marcus Zanderowski. Not necessarily skill set wise, but when it comes to playmaking and a winning culture that Creighton and Doug and Greg McDermott's been trying to build and has to redo over with this young group. But even without, you know, Ty Ty Washington, Nemhart may be better off because he's not going to be a one and done. Instead, could be a three or four year guy that you can build off. Uh, Tristan, you actually stole my guy because uh, Ryan Nemhart is another one of those point guards who I could just kind of fell in love with. After watching uh, Guy Coast in the NIBC last year, uh, really good playmaker, super quick, gets it done on both ends of the floor. And that whole Creighton program is something I'm going to be watching. I know they got the stupid postseason ban, but uh, that group there, if they can stay together through their entire situation, is going to be really fun to watch. It's just a lot of good pieces. Um, and I believe somebody like Ryan Nimhart can make what they do all work really well together. Um, it's like I'm trying to think of another dude, and you know I could go like Mano just because like he really impressed me at the Allen Iverson Classic because like I hadn't seen him in finals, so it's like oh I didn't realize he could go like that. But um, I guess I'll just go with him then. It's like part of me wants to be like Mason Miller, but like I have some hesitations about him, at least like being the guy immediately. Um, so yeah, Mano, I guess, because he's athletic, he's going to play with effort, um, and like he's going to benefit from the passing ability of the players around him. Yeah, um, if I- my next guy, you know, you talk about Frankie Collins, but I, I think the key to Michigan being a title contender is going to be Caleb Houston. You know, yes. he, he he's different mm-hmm. from Isaiah Livers and, and Franz Wagner, but he's basically in that same mold of a versatile combo forward that can play the three or a four, can shoot, can drive to the basket, really good defender, great size, and someone that Hunter Dickinson can play off of. Uh, if Houston can be that top 10 projected de- draft pick and real instant, instant impact player and doesn't, you know, struggle and doesn't struggle in the tournament and can remain healthy, I, I think he's he's going to give the Wolverines that lift to potentially get to the Final Four. Okay. I like that name. Uh, Calvin, you again stole one of my guys, Josh Minow. I think with that roster and possibly even limited minutes, he's still going to be able to produce. Uh, he's a super athletic guy out of Jacksonville, Florida. So what he's going to bring to the table is like, yes, he's skilled in his own right, but it's the physicals that's that's going to do it for him. It's uh, being six, eight long athletic where he doesn't really need the ball to produce. You just put him in the right situations and he's going to fill that role for you. And uh, yeah, that's what I got for Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could throw one more, I think I feel like you've met, you've mentioned him before, or we mentioned we mentioned him earlier. But Trevor Keels, yes, right, just because I know like when we first saw him, like I had some reservations, but like again, AI Classic, it's like oh he really because like you were like oh he, this, he they're asking him to do too much. See him at the AI class is like you know what you're probably right because it's just like he he looks he looks better 
when like he didn't have to be the guy and didn't have and was in a position where he had to force up shots. And he will be in a similar spot at Duke. So like I think he's he's gonna produce for them. He's going to be certainly better than I would have put him at when the first time I saw him. And like he's like he'll he'll be fun to watch, but like it'll mainly be I think as a shooter. But like he'll also produce in some other ways. Yeah, um, Florida State, very interesting for me. I, I think you could look at John Butler, who is at this point is a seven foot one uh, small forward. I, I haven't seen much of him, but apparently everyone's really high on him, what he can do. But uh, the point guard, Jalen Wardley, because I'm not sold that Caleb Mills to Houston transfer can be a true point guard for them. I, I have my concerns about that, and that it may be a scenario where you have to put Worley on to him. Worley at point, and he can be a real impact player. He's probably the only true point guard on the roster they have. And even though they, they, they got away with, you know, MJ Walker, who really was more of a shooting guard masquerading as a lead ball handler for them, and Scotty Barnes, who was a do-it-all guy, I, I do believe that Worley could be an impact player, if not this year, definitely the year after for the Seminoles. Okay. All right. My next guy is going to be Harrison Ingram. Really good combo for it out of Dallas, Texas. Incredibly strong, smart, heady. He's going to be everything that I feel like Stanford needs next year. Uh, just an incredible dude. And we're going to see playmaking, scoring, rebounding, everything you really need from a freshman. I, it's like, I don't think I have just a dude anymore. Um, I don't know, Ty Ty Washington, like, he'll be able to shoot the cover off the ball and pass really well. Um, to talk about, I guess, Florida State, granted, I haven't looked at their stuff, but um, I just, I really just trust their coach. I like how he plays. Like we mentioned, he runs, the, he, like, he runs a deep bench and, like, Florida State's all just always a threat. Especially when you have when he when Hamilton has that talent to kind of mix and match, but like yeah, that's kind of what we'll see. Um, let's see. Oh, what are some games that like you think are just kind of some must-watch pencil ins? I mean, I mean, any of the Gonzaga prime matchups: Duke, Villanova, Duke, UCLA, Air, uh, Alabama, Texas. They're definitely going to be the ones. Uh, doing conference play, Texas at Texas Tech, because Chris Beard's going to need security for his Red Raider fans. That That's going to be something that he's going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. There's just, just going to be a lot of really good non-conference match, particularly with mid-majors. I think look out for teams like St. Bonaventure, Nevada, BYU, uh, go all around. There's a lot of Belmont Really good mid-major programs that are top 50 caliber that's going to go on the road against some of these power conference teams. I mean, even open at night, don't be surprised if Louisiana Tech, led by Kenneth Lofton, who's 6'7", 270 pound big man, if they put a scare in there into Alabama. Because Alabama's front court, tiny bit shaky. Like, I like Noah Gurley, the Furman transfer. Charles Bayakos is a five-star project. But... Louisiana Tech got enough scoring and got and they could really put a scare. Same thing with Moorhead State and Auburn. 
because without Alan Flanagan, I got some questions about uh, the Tigers' backcourt. But there's going to be a lot of really good close calls throughout the, the mid-major world thanks to so many transfers and quality uh, seniors coming back for their fifth years. Okay. Mm. All right, guys, we're about uh, done with this episode. So to finish off, let me get your player of the year predictions and who you think can win it all at the end of the season. Okay. Um, my player of the year prediction is, well, going to be predictable. It's probably going to be Drew Timmy, right? He was the best offensive player on the best offensive team in the country last year. Like, that team is coming in once again as the preseason number one. We'll probably also, once again, have a very high-powered offense, even if it's not quite at the level of the ridiculousness that was their offense last season. Um, and, yeah, it'll kind of just be, like, best player on the best team and definitely, like, the best, like, se like senior, right? Um, and so, while it's kind of predictable, like, that's, that's kind of who I think will probably end with it, like, season's end. Um, and who will win it all? Shoot. Um, let's say... Let's say... I, I don't feel comfortable about this one, but I'm going to say Kansas, right? Just because I don't, it's, I want Gonzaga to win it all. I'm just not, it's, it's, for me, it's also kind of a, it'll happen when it happens. I'm not sure it's this year, but it's like he all, at this point, he always has good teams, but it's still just kind of like, it, it, I, I'm just kind of going to wait on it. And like, I don't feel comfortable picking a team that I like, like that, I, mm -hmm. that I'm really fond of. Like I like the Zags. I like Memphis, and it's kind of like you should—you probably shouldn't lean into your biases too much with this. And Kansas is going to be ridiculously deep. Um, they are going—they bring back a lot of players um, from last year, as a lot of other teams do. And like I'm—I'm I'm not sure what Texas will look like when the games really start, even though I think they'll be good. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of leaves them. Like in my mind at the moment, well, them probably Nova just because Jay Wright, and like again, they they also bring a fair bit back, um, but yeah. yeah. My only concern with Villanova is I think they'll run away with the Big East, but they didn't address the loss of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and I think okay. not having a real center. It's fine in the Big East, but when you go up in March against a Big Ten team or Gonzaga or some of the Big 12 teams, that could that's going to be problematic for them. Uh, Drew Timmy would have any other year won their award last year. The problem was is that Luca Garza was the preseason pick to win it all and to to win the award, and he backed that up by averaging 25 a game. So so it's kind of hard not to give Luca Garza the award when he he did everything he could offensively. This year, unless another power conference guy, maybe Paulo Bancaro goes off and puts up huge stats, Drew Timmy and Gonzaga, assuming Gonzaga is number one team throughout and he averages 20 points a game and eight rebounds again, he'll probably win the award. I think there's not too many guys that can win it. I think teams like Kansas and Texas are a little too balanced for one particular player to stand out. 
And so I, I think Timmy's going to be the heavy favorite, if not Bancaro. Far as a national champion, you can you can make an argument that it could get real crazy in March because there's a there's so much talent up and down college basketball. There's going to be some eight nine seeds that are more than capable of knocking off a one seed, and even more expected than Warriors Chicago versus Illinois because we didn't really expect that. But you're going to see a lot of real good eight and nine seeds and four and five seeds. But I think from a roster standpoint, if I had to make a prediction, I think I would have Kansas over Gonzaga in the title game. I, I think Kansas is just too deep up and down the roster. Every It, it makes sense. They don't truly have a weakness. As long as, as, long as their defensive potential issues are covered, I, I think they're going to be a team that cuts down the final minutes. Okay, I really like you guys' picks, so I'm going to have to be the person who is, um, you know, the wild card. Um, Drew Jimmy is a great option, but since it is, it's almost consensus, I can't let this happen. Uh, I have to go with someone from UCLA. It's either going to be Johnny Juzang or Hami Hakez. I feel like either one of them is going to have the production or will be in the position to have the production uh, for UCLA to be good, they have to be good. Um, so depending on how many wins and how deep they can go uh, and just how good they look, I can see one of those two guys being a candidate. And as far as the national champion, I'm going to be real with you. I do just by looking at like the names in the options and knowing how deep and talented like college basketball is this year. I almost don't like anyone in the top 10. Like I get icky feelings from just about everybody. Like Gonzaga looks completely different from last year. Uh, UCLA is good in adding pieces but they also weren't good for most of the season. Anytime you expect Kansas to do something good, that Kansas is it up and just fall short and are out by like this sweet 16. Uh, you can never count out Villanova, but usually with a Villanova national championship, there's some guys with like super notable names. And uh, I'm, I'll call myself a casual on this one. I can't think of anybody on this Villanova roster who's just incredible. Um, Texas, it's a bit of the same, like really good, well-rounded team, but I don't know who that one guy is. Uh, and I feel that way from Michigan to Kentucky. Um, but I do like the outlier of Purdue going ahead and taking it. We were talking about some moves. One of the best backcourts. They have the wings. They have guards. Uh, they have Jaden Ivey. Boom. And if Jaden Ivey can shoot, like, the ceiling is national championship for this Purdue squad. All like right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We got we to gotta bow now. And that was all off the top of the dome. But uh, guys, thank you for sticking around for this college basketball episode of the Traveling Hoopers. I have been your host, Alan Pettigrew Jr. And in front of me, Tristan Freeman and Calvin McGowan can go ahead and sign us out.
Um, once again, everybody, I'm Calvin McGowan. It's always a pleasure to be here. You know, you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. You're joining us on YouTube. You know, the obligatory like, share, and subscribe and all of that. And stick with us for basketball news in general, college, NBA, high school. Just, yeah, and as always, it's been a pleasure. We do all that, baby. All right. Tristan, go ahead and let the people know where they can find your work. Yes, sir. Once again, thank you guys very much for having me on. It's been a fun couple hours. You can find me on Twitter at uh, hoopsnut351 uh, for Twitter. Uh, on there all the time, probably too much, talking about college <laughs> basketball and whatnot. You can find my work at the Bustin' Brackets site. Uh, also, Twitter handle at Bustin' Brackets, part of the fan site network. We have Blog uh, articles every day covering Champions Classic, mid-major stuff, anything else you want. Try to bring new stuff every day. And just once again, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right. Hey, man, it's been uh, the pleasure is ours. Like you've done amazing here. And we'll definitely be seeing if we can have you again. I know you're going to be in high demand this season. So, uh if you're open, put this on put this on your schedule, man. Absolutely, absolutely.